0: Welcome to That's Podcasting, the movie musical podcast. I'm Cody Pasby.
1: And I'm Paul Ponte.
0: This week, we are continuing our examination of the career of a star that shines so brightly, but you know, it's the brightest stars that fade out the fastest. And uh, I'm, of course, speaking of Judy Garland as, uh, yeah, Judy Garland, who... We have talked about uh, probably her most iconic film of all time, and then the film that made her a box office sensation. But I think, Paul, for my money, this is like the quintessential Judy Garland movie that we'll be talking about this week. And I know The Wizard of Oz is a more popular movie, obviously, but I think when I think of a Judy Garland star vehicle, Meet Me in St. Louis is the movie that pops in my head as like... It's her movie, it's got some of her most iconic numbers, uh, and she looks dazzling in it. She just looks phenomenal in this movie, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's got a lot of uh, solo pieces for her to really shine. She is top build in in the poster, uh, much bigger than everyone else. Uh, Even though in the movie itself, I would say other people have a pretty substantial role, too, though, I would say.
0: It is kind of an ensemble piece, really. It's more about this family than it is about her. She is the main character, but it really is sort of a story about this family. Uh, Of course, those stories are actually based off the short stories of Sally Benson. Meet Me in St. Louis is actually like the unofficial theme song of that 1904, as they call it, the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition, a.k.a. the St. Louis World's Fair. By the way, as I'm looking up information about this movie, the 1904 World's Fair, just to give you an idea of how big the World's Fair was back in the day. Oh, it was was huge. Huge, huge. So much so that the Olympics, the Summer Olympics were set to be in Chicago. And Teddy Roosevelt actually said, no, put it in St. Louis because we already got the World's Fair there. It's going to be bananas. It's going to be awesome. Ended up being a complete shit show. The Olympics took six months. And no one gave a shit about the Olympics because the World's Fair was there, which was a bigger deal. Yeah,
1: the 1904 World's Fair was also uh, famously the home of human zoos such as uh, Benga, the pygmy boy who uh, was said to live with apes, and the, the exposition of F- Filipinos known as the primitive exposition of people. So while we're just laughing and having this good time about the World's Fair, let's just keep that in the back of everyone's mind that there is a lot going on during this World's Fair. Don't forget <laughs>
0: like the deeply entrenched racism that this country yes. has been known for, and this movie uh, does oh, not but forget about. Oh, e- Cody, they that. might move
1: to New York. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> really interesting. Just just out of uh, while we're on the World's Fair, there was apparently a bullfight riot.
0: What? Oh
1: my god. There was a bullfight scheduled for an arena just north of the fairgrounds. The governor ordered police to halt it because of their anti-bullfighting laws, as one, as one has. As one has. And then, uh, yeah, disgruntled spectators demanded refunds, and when they were turned away, they began throwing stones into the windows of the arena office. When police protected the office, they did not have sufficient numbers to protect the arena, which was burned to the ground by the mob. <laughs> Hell Yeah. Oh,
0: it just makes that ending of the movie all that much better. All in our own backyard. All these mobs burning these buildings to the (laughs) ground. Yes. They just, they needed to see death. They needed to quench that bloodthirsty lust for death. That's what they needed. As is often the case also in this movie.
1: (laughs) One character in particular. But it's not all doom and gloom for the 1904 World's Fair, Cody. This is also when the waffle cone was popularized. So let's... That's right. You no, know, you take the good, you take the bad. You know, that's not that's that's. Hmm.
0: Is it a net positive that we got ice cream cones? Oh no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. No, uh, yes, you're right. The 1904 World's Fair popularized the ice cream cone, so uh, I guess there's that. So, yep. yeah, on top of all the bloodshed. Anyway, uh, Judy Garland at this point in her career. Going into 1943, the year this movie is filmed, she is just on a roll. And she's coming off of her biggest box office success in For Me and My Gal. She's portraying more mature, or at the very least, more mature-looking characters. Still, MGM has her pegged as the quote-unquote girl next door, and that's what they see her as. And they decide, let's go ahead and cast her as another teenage lead in this film, Meet Me and St. Louis. Garland initially refuses. She doesn't want to do this. It's another innocent teenage role. I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. I don't want to be the girl next door anymore. And she decided I'm going to hold out because I think I deserve a glamorous star turn. But the person who convinces her that she's got to do it would be director Vincente Minnelli. If that last name sounds familiar, of course, if you know anything, Liza Minnelli, the daughter of Judy Garland, yes, this is where the two of them meet and eventually get married. He convinces her to do the film because he, in his mind, says, I am going to make you that glamorous superstar. Trust me. He recruits uh, a makeup artist, Dorothy Pondell, to work on Garland's new look. There's a bunch of... Uh, makeup jargon that I wish I knew more about that was thrown around like, this is exactly what they did. They removed nose circles. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but she was happy with it. So much so that uh, Judy actually makes Dorothy Pondell her go-to makeup artist for the rest of her career and went on to, of course, marry Manelli after the movie because as she said, she felt extremely beautiful during filming, which is the main reason why she cited marrying him. Uh, in fact, the two were already living together as Manelli was editing the in movie from sin? Paul. I know, right? Oh, man. You don't even kiss a boy until you're engaged. But see, Paul, Judy wasn't like the other girls. Yes, despite her girl-next-door persona, uh, she was anything but that. She's now 21 years old, so she is now on the town. She would often spend late nights partying with some of Hollywood's leading men, and she would often arrive late on set, or not at all, Uh, She, in fact, missed 13 days, pushing the film's originally budgeted 58-day shoot to 70 days. And Vincent Minnelli loved to rehearse. He loved doing extra rehearsals. Judy hated that and often tried to sneak out. and And Minnelli had to call security guards to hold her back from leaving the studio lot and to lock the gates so she wouldn't leave. Yeah, this was uh, an interesting transitional time for Judy. She's becoming a huge star. She is a huge star at this point, becoming even bigger. Uh, obviously, the drug stuff that's already being stuffed in her by the studio compounded on the fact that she's going out every night and partying and doing more drugs and alcohol and, and all the like. But despite that, she's, yeah, this is like, I, this is like the iconic look of Judy Garland in my eyes, other than her uh, as Dorothy. Paul, did you at all look into the wild backstory of the young actress who played Tootie in this movie,
1: Margaret O'Brien, who is still with us, by the way? Oh, you mean the little sociopath?
0: Yeah, so apparently she was a little hellraiser, and they said only would behave when her mother was on set, and when she was off set, just hell yeah, time to party, let's go. But let me try to make you empathize with her a little bit. I think you're going to feel differently because, yeah, even in the movie, her character is like, sweet Jesus, this girl is a nightmare. She's a psychopath. She is a psychopath. So, yeah, the young actress who played 2D, as I mentioned, Margaret O'Brien, she was a rising star at MGM at the time. Her mother felt that she was being stiffed, that she wasn't getting fairly compensated for this role, which was going to be a big box office hit, no doubt. She held out until her daughter got their contract demands met. The studio actually at first said, nope, we're going to move on. We're just going to cast another little girl. Forget it. They went ahead and recasted the role with Sharon McManus, who was actually the daughter of a studio electrician. Eventually, the studio buckled. O'Brien was in the movie. But as fate would have it, Mr. McManus, her father, Sharon's father, was helping out On the movie, that studio electrician I was talking about. He was helping out on the movie to do lighting and tech work on the film. He sought to avenge his little girl's lost role by, I'm not joking, attempting to murder a child. He dropped a heavy light from the catwalk that barely missed the then seven year old actress. McManus was then sent to a mental institution for most of the rest of his life.
1: What in the world? I mean, I know Hollywood used to be more nuts than it was today, but that is some high-level madness. I, I don't even know. Where, I don't even know. I could not
0: believe it when I read that story. That is as sick and depraved as it gets. And I forgive anything this, any acting up this little girl did, anything totally forgiven after this. Literally nearly had a hundreds of pounds light just dropped on your head like a cartoon character. That is insane. Yep. Uh, Pretty awful. Uh, O'Brien actually goes on to win the Oscar for, I love that they had this back in the day, the Best Juvenile Actor Award. Uh, And Minnelli was actually very impressed for how genuine her emotion was, especially in those scenes where she's crying. It feels very, very real. He Mm. later learned... Now, this is alleged, and Margaret O'Brien has gone on record and said that's not true. But he learned that just before some of her more emotional scenes, if her mother or grandmother were on set, her mother would whisper into her ear that someone was going to kill her dog. And then she started crying uncontrollably. (laughs) Okay. This little girl went through absolute hell to make this movie wow again she claims it didn't happen and she says i have nothing but happy memories of making this movie but uh except for almost getting murdered except for the part where she almost got murdered but um uh, hmm. selective memory i guess
1: yeah uh wow okay this is this is a lot of backstory to this one
0: yeah, this is uh, not the backstory I was expecting. <laughs> I expected a lot more of, hey, it's where uh, Vincent Minnelli and-, and Judy Garland met. Like, there's the backstory. It's then they fell
1: in love and they get married and Liza. And- I was going to say the only part of the movie I recognized uh, was the have yourself a merry little Christmas scene, which I have definitely seen before. Yes,
0: that scene is very popular.
1: And I was going to bring up that little fun fact. And um, I got derailed a bit. From talking about all the murders that almost took place, <laughs> whether it be of dogs, of little girls, children. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're hitting.
0: That's like the the tri- the awful trifecta. I don't know what would be in the next one. I guess, yeah, uh, another well, like, sort of small animal. There's a there's a plot about the cat getting murdered, right? In the yes, in the movie? yes, that uh, one of the characters apparently kills, poisons cats, and cooks them or burns them in their furnace. So there you go. Cats, dogs, and children, all possibly or talked about or all involved in some sort of murder plot in this movie. Deary me. Anyway, this is a wonderful and joyous film, (laughs) despite the (laughs) dramatic and uh, uh, problematic and uh, eventful uh, production schedule for this film. It goes on to become the second biggest box office hit for MGM. Only Gone with the Wind is ahead of it at this time in the studio's history. Not bad. It was also nominated for four Oscars. And unlike for Me and My Gal last week, which had no original songs, this movie actually does have four original songs, even though one of them is... More of like a medley of classic songs of that era, of classic American tunes, Skip to My Lou, Yankee Doodle, now with new original lyrics. But the Trolley song— So so you'd say it's an
1: original arrangement.
0: Yeah. But it does have—yeah, I guess so. It's it's original-ish. Let's put it that way.
1: It's as original as Kid Rock doing uh, "Werewolves of London" yes. in "Sweet Home Alabama." Yes. Okay, <laughs>
0: exactly. That's that's a good uh, comparison.
1: <laughs> and just as just stands up for the exact same way in quality. Never
0: continue. did I think I'd hear the day where Judy Garland and Kid Rock would be compared. Would be like, yeah, yeah, Judy Garland and Kid Rock. That is a comparable. Uh, that's comparable uh, in this situation. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the Trolley uh, Song, The Boy Next Door, and as you mentioned, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas all become uh, standards after this movie. So let's talk about this
1: movie. The wait, 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas from this? It's from this. Okay, now you just blew my mind. This is originated
0: in this movie. That's where the song is from.
1: My, okay, now... Yeah, my brains are, are now splattered against the wall because my mind is blown right now. It's uh,
0: such a ubiquitous song during the Christmas season, it's just so you don't even think about it. You don't even
1: think about it. But yeah. it's from this movie. That is that is incredible. Like when people first saw this in theaters, like, did everyone just start freaking out and screaming when the song started? Like like, How good is this song? I this mean- is going to stand the test of time. Like what I mean, it was, like, it was the second biggest movie of the
0: year, and it was MGM's biggest hit since Gone with the Wind. So, yeah, I think so.
1: And it came out in January of that year and just ran in theaters all year long. That's, like, if you can imagine, like, hundreds of, like, a hundred years from now, people were singing Shallow every holiday season from, like, yeah, like, that's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts that, like,
0: that song, and, like I said, the other two songs, while not as, as entrenched in our... Our culture are also two songs that have stood the test of time and became standards on their own, Uh, especially the Trolley song, which I think of the other of the two other ones, that's probably the most popular. It's kind of almost other than Over the Rainbow is the other Uh, standard Judy Garland song, like her her go to song.
1: I want to say I know that song from The Simpsons.
0: You're probably right. I I'm going to okay. guess they did it at some point. Did some sort of parody of that song or that or the scene. Uh the scene from this movie, yeah, which is I'm sure been parodied over and over again.
1: Oh yeah. Martin. Martin uh he he sings. I think he's auditioning oh, yes, for something. Yes, 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 yes. And then I think he gets punched in the stomach for singing it.
0: Is it <laughs> uh is it the streetcar episode?
1: It might be. That's one of my I doesn't I believe he sings it for like ten seconds, and then Nelson punches him in the stomach or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This
0: is exactly what. Yes, I think it is the streetcar episode. Yeah, <laughs> so one of my all-time favorites for sure.
1: I wonder if that what the, what the running count of like Judy Garland references in The Simpsons is. I bet there's a lot. Oh
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, think about like the generation that was writing it. They were all people oh, yeah. whose parents were raised off of Judy Garland movies and MGM musicals. So makes sense. Yeah. Back into the Wayback Machine, it's spring of 1903, and the, the World's Fair is just a year away. It's crazy. Again, I, I don't know about the hype of a World's Fair. Were they hyping it a full
1: year in advance? I believe so, because... I guess you had to raise money it's almost and stuff. Like, it's almost like when a city gets the Olympics for the first time. It's like, like uh-oh, like we're, this is going to put us on the map. True, true. Or you get the Olympics and the World Fair at the same
0: time and you just get a giant clusterfuck like St. Louis did in nineteen oh four. Yes. Yes. Uh we're meeting the Smith family, who uh Mrs. Smith and uh, their maid Katie are enjoying a spring afternoon while making ketchup. I just love how quaint that seems.
1: Boiling yeah. your own ketchup. Super bright ketchup, by the way. Yeah. When yeah. they poured out it is it is very light. It was it was weirding me out at first, I'm not going to lie. Was it more of a ketchup or a ketchup? Maybe it was more of a
0: ketchup. Maybe to go with why. another Sim- Simpsons reference. Yeah. Uh, we then hear Agnes come in. As she's gone for a swim somewhere. The, you know, the local watering hole or something. Uh, yeah. And she sings the recurring theme of the movie Meet Me in St. Louis itself, the sort of unofficial anthem of the build up to the World's Fair. Uh, and then we see Grandpa,
1: who I got to say, Grandpa is a fashion icon. Oh, yeah, he's tremendous throughout this entire movie. Yeah. Especially that number he wears when they're about to go to the World's Fair at the end. Yeah, dude is just, oh, man, I love it. Love it. Um, I wanted to say, I, I don't know what it was. This is maybe just something that only bugs me now that I'm older and I'm turning into an old man. But when that little girl comes in, no towel, just soaking wet, and then she just puts on shoes. Puts on, like, her grandfather's shoes. And then goes upstairs. I was like... What's happening? What is going on right now? Oh, this is just the beginning of these little hoodlums. These little conniving
0: children. Yeah, they call
1: them little hoodlums. They literally
0: say, "Ah, oh, she's a little hoodlum," and yeah, these children in this movie. Those two girls get up to nothing but trouble.
1: Nothing. And most of the time, they exaggerate. Not in this movie. They do get up to trouble. Oh yeah, a lot of trouble. We'll talk extensively. Yeah. During when we get one there, scene. It- there's one moment where I'm just like, is this really happening in this movie right now? And yeah. The and first, everyone just kind of waves it off.
0: The first time I watched it again in years, I was my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, how what? Was this what things were like? Back? Is this real? Uh, We meet Esther, played by Judy Garland, who asks their maid Katie to make dinner an hour earlier so that her sister Rose can take a call from Warren Sheffield in New York City, who might be proposing to her this evening. Rose arrives back home and tells Esther that she spotted John Truitt, their handsome and dashing neighbor, smoking his pipe outside, and the girls go on the porch as a way to woo him. But to no avail. By the way, I've neglected to mention, I think Katie even drops the line like, what kind of man would propose on a, a, on a machine or something like
1: that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which, that holds up today. Who would propose over the phone? Why would you do that? That's weird.
1: Yeah, it seems seems a bit much. Maybe
0: Warren realized that too. Uh, so after trying to woo John and they couldn't get his attention, that's when we get the first uh, big song of the movie, The Boy Next Door. And something I, at some point, about halfway through, I kept track of it because I I realized, I'm like, we have been on the same shot of Judy Garland here for about 45 seconds with just slight movements where she goes up and goes down. I want to say there were maybe two to three cuts in this entire song. That's it. Which (laughs) I love that. And I think it really speaks to... Because she said she loved how beautiful she felt and looked in this movie. And I think, obviously, Minnelli felt the same way and just thought, just keep it on her. You don't need anything else.
1: And it's true. Don't you, you know. dare take that camera away from me, darling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she was ready for a close-up. Uh, yep. it's, yeah, I think it just, it's really speaks to her power as an on-screen presence at this point. Because it's still, like, uh, obviously, she's just a phenomenal singer. Just a beautiful song, and yeah, I love the way it's shot, and I would like to think every musical director should take notes watching this scene, because again, two to three cuts on just a really yeah. beautiful, lovely song, and you just let the star power take control. Just trust them. Yep. It's great. Let her fill up the screen, baby. Yep. So then we get back to the kitchen, and this is where the children, are once again, misbehaving, because what the fuck?
1: Agnes threatens to stab and murder Katie in her sleep. Every time these girls open their mouth, I'm like, what is happening? I know. And I'm like, there's only one reference where the
0: dad's like, well, uh, remind me to maybe this is it. He's like, remind me to spank you later. It's like these yeah. these girls just are let loose and they get no punishment or anything and i'm not i'm not advocating for spanking but some i mean grounding go in your room
1: for a bit you know or maybe just say hey, a little less murder talk can we, right. can we talk a little bit about less about the maiming less about the murder maybe you shouldn't be burying your dolls and acting like they're alive maybe just maybe i feel like the beginning of this movie and the beginning of a horror movie are pretty equal at this point to <laughs> has a doll
0: graveyard She has a graveyard of dolls. She references, oh, if we're going to move, I better go dig up all my dolls. Like, the only thing that went through my mind is it's 1903. People just die more often back then.
1: I mean, we're not talking about the consumption.
0: We're not talking about the consumption. We're not talking dark ages or anything, but like, people just died more back then. So maybe for them it's just like cool. I'm playing. Do- I'm playing death
1: at home instead of playing home. I'm playing funeral home instead. How many dolls does she have buried? Well, I'll give you a quote. It'll take me at least a week to dig up all the dolls in my cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just uh, like a mobster with all these dolls at her graveyard. She knows where all the bodies are buried. Literally. It was you, wasn't it, Strawberry Shortcake? It was you throws it off a boat (laughs) (laughs) so anyway these children
0: are awful uh you know what though to her credit katie is completely unfazed and she just continues to prepare the early dinner as the family wonders about where their youngest tootie as we have talked about is uh also just gotta once again mention grandpa's dripping in swag here he's got that fez he's got that half wood half glass pipe just beautiful love this man We then finally meet Tootie. We've been talking about her a lot as she has hitched a ride from a man who has clearly seen some shit. (laughs) Uh, Tootie is five and a complete necromaniac. Uh, She tells this man about all the dolls she's had to bury, as we have mentioned, the doll graveyard. And then this line comes out, which I think I messaged you before we started. I went, I had to pause the movie because it made me laugh so hard. She says about her doll she has four fatal diseases then the man long pause and it only takes one
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes that's how you know this guy has seen some
0: shit little girl i've died once they tell you you see the light i gotta tell you there's nothing there but the blackness (laughs) i've never seen dark as dark as that and then i came back and had a new lease on life and a new perspective
1: and then you hear what she said after that, and then what his other response was. What, go ahead. It was, but she's going to have a beautiful funeral in a cigar box my papa gave me, all wrapped in silver paper. And he goes, "That's the way to go if you have to."
0: <laughs>
1: and then he murdered the little girl because that's obviously what would happen next.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Like again, what is happening here? This is if I saw my child come home with this man, I'd be like, "Some something has gone I- wrong in my." As For me as a parent, something has gone terribly wrong.
1: Cody, I haven't seen this movie before. So when you tell me we're going to see Meet Me in St. Louis, it's a Judy Garland musical. It's about them in 1904 and the World's Fair. I was not expecting any of this death talk or any of this disease talk or any of this madness that's going on in this movie. It's so crazy
0: because it is like there's a lot of comedic moments in it. And I think clearly this is supposed to be the running joke is look at this little girl obsessed with death. That's the joke, which <laughs> I don't know if that translated very well. Eighty some odd years later,
1: and how far into the movie when they did they talk about the Mister Brokoff and the cats? That's uh, during Halloween. Okay, so when we get there, remind which, me to we've easily talk about that—the
0: most depraved moment of the movie. <laughs> Just yeah, wild. So, yeah, she's gotten off of the uh, wagon with the the man who is clearly just has, has tasted death and, and knows nothing else now. And we get a reprise of Meet Me in St. Louis. After all of that, Rose and Esther are singing this time as their father arrives home from work and interrupts them. Uh, just quick aside, I love that l- little quick shot of the statue of the two heads. And then you see uh, both of them. Rose and Esther uh, in almost the exact same position. Love that little shot. Uh, Mr. Smith arrives home from a long day of doing things that lawyers did back then, which I assume is the same as it is now, but I don't know. Who knows? Could be different. Don't know what kind of cases they're taking back in 1903. Stuff about horses, I'd assume. The family tells him that dinner will be early, since, as they put it, Katie has a family matter to deal with, just trying to cover up for Rose. Uh, he says, nope, not going to happen. Having none of it says that I need to take my one hour bath.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> like the diva he is.
1: One hour for a bath. Who's got time for that? Apparently he does. This is such like the the typical like the dad comes home. He's like, oh, work. It's so tough. Mom, I've been working. Yep.
0: <laughs> and I then- need my cool bath. Yeah, it reminds me, and I'm sure that, I mean, obviously in terms of setting and stuff, it's, it's the same era. I get a lot of vibes of, uh, like, Mary Poppins, of the father from Mary Poppins as well. The same thing, he comes home in a huff and he's like, everything must be prepared. Why is nothing prepared? I need a meal. I need to take my yeah. bath. Uh, just, yeah, very much in the same vein. Peter Pan.
1: Right, right, right. Just the angry. It's all just the father coming home. Just, These <laughs> children are in my way. What are they doing here? Even he comes in and they're singing. And he's like, stop your, your, what does he say? He's just like, stop, stop your you screeching. Yourself,
0: yeah, screeching. This lovely song. And, and he's like, it's a year away. Why the hell do you care, you know? So everyone is at the dinner table, and they are nervous as hell, as dinner does start at its usual time. Uh, Katie rushes all of the courses out before anyone can actually finish them, and then the phone rings. Mr. Smith decides to answer and refuses to take the call and the charges from New York City, not realizing what he has done. Uh, He blusters about and says that he shouldn't be left out of any family matters and that I'm going to be taking any incoming call, and then as the phone rings, he lets Rose take the incoming call. It is, ah, oh, look who it is. It's Warren Sheffield. I don't know why I like that name so much. It's such a great old-timey name. Uh, it's Warren Sheffield, who's shouting at the same decibel level as a jet plane. At first I was like, wait a bit, are they, I realized about a, a second and I was like, okay, this is being played for laughs right now. They were like, can you hear me all right? Uh, it's great. Uh, Warren is completely spineless and doesn't have the guts to propose to Rose over the phone, or maybe he actually has the good sense to do it in person, and so the proposal does not happen. Also, during this scene, I laughed a lot more than I was expecting. I think a lot of the jokes in this movie still hit pretty hard. Uh, I think that Katie is actually very funny. She's great. Uh, So many moments, just her looks could kill I love the little part where it's like, oh, yeah, we have our friend Joe coming. And then Grandpa goes under the table and goes, hello, Joe. I love that. That kills me. And then when they get off the phone and then their father, in complete silence, crunches that celery so loudly. I cracked up. It's great. She had a wicked eye roll. Wicked eye roll. Great, great eye roll. Rose is disappointed by the call. But then we fast forward to the next evening. It's time to party as the older kids are having a party to send off their brother, Lon Jr., who's off to Princeton. And of course, John Truitt arrives, and then the kids decide to have a good old hoedown as we hear the song Skip to My Lou. We get in the line and start dancing. This is the song that, again, takes sort of the familiar themes of the era, uh, Yankee Doodle and all the such, adds in some original lyrics, Uh, just a fun little number and fun little hoedown. You know, the girls get to uh, show off the dance moves and stuff, and yeah, it's great. Lovely, it's a fun little number. Uh, John then spots Agnes and Tootie spying from the staircase, and Tootie comes down to entertain the guests, first with the song about getting hammered, and then with a song filled with antiquated racial stereotypes. Tootie is just on a roll. Yes, she is. As we hear the song, Under the Bamboo Tree. And, Paul, Mm. this is now, uh, what are we at, episode seven? Mm. We've made it this far without some deeply problematic uh, stereotyping and and, uh, racial undertones in these movies. And uh, this is obviously not the worst it ever gets in movie musicals but it was bound to happen at some point that we would get a song that is uh, fairly insensitive and all-around uncomfortable. Yeah. Even, um, even the adorable five-year-old girl can't, can't hide some of these lyrics.
1: Uh, about the Zulu from Matabulu? Yeah. Yeah. I think a prince of a yeah. dusty
0: shade is what they say at one point.
1: Yeah. Hasn't aged well, this scene, I tell ya. Not a bit. <laughs> I mean 1903 they're having a big party people are performing I'm just saying I'm shocked they didn't have someone performing at the party in a certain uh face makeup Very going true on. very
0: very true considering that I believe earlier in her career Judy Garland performed in that makeup
1: Yeah oh. yeah
0: Anyway, uh not good. Anyway. Not good. And uh I'm glad it's a quick number because it's like good, let's just get out of that and move on. Yeah. Let's just get out of here. Uh as the party ends, it's now just Esther and John. And Esther asks him if he could turn off all of the lights in the house, which back then was basically a fifteen minute job. Uh and then of course the lights go down and it's just, yeah, just a great job of uh the dramatic lighting in this scene is so wonderful. And again, like damn Vincent Minnelli just knew he, he knew it from the moment like I'm going to do something with you that no other studio that no other director has gotten like the way he films Judy Garland and yeah you can see why she totally they were swept, swept her off her feet and then we get the song Over the Bannister this is actually adapted from a 19th century poem it's a sweet and short number with more of those as I mentioned more of those close up glamour shots of Judy also during this time john johnny boy terrible pickup lines my dude
1: johnny's bad at reading the room reading the situation yeah recognizing any kind of flags just like he's kind of a mimbo let's let's be fair here (laughs) (laughs) it's two lines one your perfume
0: is the same as my grandma's yeah and two you have a good grip
1: yeah. Oh, you have a strong grip for a girl. A,
0: yeah, you have a strong grip. So strong grip. You smell like grandma. Not the best pickup lines. My Although guy. she does, she does get
1: him back with the strong grip grip thing later on, yes, which I did that appreciate. Is that is true. So that you was that was a him. good setup for that. Yeah,
0: it was. That was a good setup. But the smelling like grandma, maybe avoid that one next time. So he goes home, and the two clearly there's there's energy, there's sparks flying. And the next day, Esther heads into town by the trolley. And that's where we get, I think, the best number in the entire film. That would be the trolley song. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is probably the more iconic song. This, though, I think is the best song. It's just such a great number. So much energy and so much joy. And Judy Garland recorded this in one take. Wow. Not bad. Not bad at all. I also read a little bit of backstory of Arthur Freed, once again, producer on this movie, was trying to tell the songwriters there's going to be a song on a trolley. Apparently, he was notorious for not being able to articulate his ideas very well. And so he just told the songwriters, Judy's going to be on a trolley, write a song. And they're like, what the fuck does that even mean? What are we supposed to do? What's happening in the movie? What's going on? He like it's just, She's on a trolley. That's, that's what's going on. Right. They wrote three different songs that were completely different. And he said, none of Very this nice. is working. <laughs> they finally wrote one more. Is was like, fine, here's one. I don't know if it's going to work. And it
1: worked. It was this song. I will add the, uh, it is number 26 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs.
0: That makes sense. That's, yeah, it's, I would say maybe
1: bump it till it gets that top 25 Uh Signification, Judy but, uh, Garland and Gene Kelly are tied with the most represented songs in the top 100 uh, with five songs each. However, Garland's songs are all solos, whereas Gene Kelly's only has two solos on there.
0: Also makes sense. Gene Kelly, yeah. uh, not as good a singer as he was a dancer. Also, this uh, trolley seems to be going way too fast. I just noticed that. Oh, it's, it is a
1: dangerously ran trolley. It's
0: going like at least minimum 50 miles per hour, which... Just seems excessive for a trolley on, you know, city streets, going through neighborhoods and whatnot. Just Someone's going to die. At the end of the song, John is actually on the trolley. He catches up to the trolley, and then as she's singing her heart out, she sees John and is embarrassed. And it's just a wonderful number, and everybody joining in to sing, and I love it. It's great. Fast forward. It is now autumn, and it's Halloween night. And Agnes and Tootie are getting ready for a night of um it's not really trick or treating and it's not even really tricks it's just being terrible shitty children.
1: Is this what yeah is this what tricks were? Is that what this comes from like being a maniac? I think so. I think that's where the tricks or trick or treat
0: comes from and I think at one point parents must have realized, "Oh my god, if we don't give these children candy, they're going to just tear down the city. They're just going to completely yeah. burn this place to the ground. We have to get it's them... to be Lord candy. of the candy. Flies over here. Yes, we have to give them candy so that they stop this. So they don't sacrifice one of themselves or something. <laughs> yeah, they also refer to killing people. Again, just throwing that around like it's no big deal. Turn of the century was a dark time, man. Clearly. Just grim. Very, very grim. Yeah, this is... Is this where they start talking about Mr. Brokoff yet? Uh, It's coming up. I just just very quickly want to do uh, another fit check for Grandpa. He's wearing uh, a little hat with a big bow, like a big present bow, and he's got a sash. Don't know what he is, but God damn, dude. So good. So good. King of
1: swag. That's what he is. Yeah,
0: GQ Man of the Year for 1943. You go, Grandpa. Or 1944. Or 1904. Whatever. Yeah, so the girls go out, and uh yeah, holy shit, Halloween fucking sucked back in the day. It's just awful children <laughs> burning shit in the middle of the road, and they're threatening to kill people, and, like, like, what are these costumes? Like, the boys are just dressed in drag, with, like, one of them has a mustache.
1: Just weird. Yeah, well, every once in a while, like, people will post, like, on Facebook, those, like, Black and white photos were like, this is how scary Halloween used to look. And it would show like a bunch of children terrifying outfits. Yeah, this is what this what these are. Yeah, case yeah. in
0: point, this part of the movie. Just horrific. It would just suck so much. I would much rather be TP'd than have a little kid throw flower in my face and tell me that they
1: hate me. Yeah. And then the flower means that they killed you.
0: So that's um where we get to Mr. Brokoff as Uh, Tootie has been left out from throwing furniture into a burning pile in the middle of the street. And Tootie then, to fit in with the big kid, says she's going to go kill Mr. Brockoff. Who I think they've also said Mr. Brockoff uh,
1: poisons cats and burns them alive? So, it'll serve him right for poisoning cats. He buys meat, and then he buys poison, and he puts them all together. Agnes then says, and then he burns the cats at midnight in his furnace. You could smell the smoke. And then Tootie says, and Mr. Brokhoff was beating his wife with a red-hot poker. And Mr. Brokoff has empty whiskey bottles in his cellar. By the way, start with that one. <laughs> <laughs> that explains all the rest. It's like, oh, Charles Manson, he had a cult. It was a sex cult. He tried to start a racial war. And then also, the guy didn't wear shoes. It's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like what are you talking
0: about, man? Yeah, so that's where she decides, I'm going to go to Mr. Brokoff's house and uh, throw a flower at his face. She yells, I hate you, and then huzzah, even though she was terrified at the time. But then, yay, she's with the big kids now. Let's throw more shit in the fire as this horrific, terrible night
1: keeps going on. And no one seems fazed. None of the adults seem phased. Not only they celebrate her, Cody, by saying she's the bravest of them all. Yeah, Tootie's the most horrible, and she screams with delight, I'm the most horrible! I'm the most horrible!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nightmare, children. Yes,
1: this is a horror film at this point.
0: This just shows, like... Anybody who's complaining about oh, kids these days are just on their (laughs) phones and they can't no no let them be on their phones because this is what they would do if they had nothing. Children can be terrible. We were all children. We know this. Give these kids a joint or something, dude. Like (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Thank God for screens, because yeah. Anyway, look at what look at the lengths they went to entertain themselves in 1903. Later that night, the girls arrive back home, and Tootie is injured, claiming that John Truitt beat her up. Again, Tootie, jeez, just full of just full of lies. Uh, infuriated, Esther storms next door and hits him, and even bites him. Later on, Agnes reveals that Tootie actually got hurt after she fell off a trolley car, after
1: putting a fake stuffed body on the tracks, hoping. That they would hit the brakes and it would derail and crash. And kill dozens of people. And then Rose says, Agnes Smith, you're nothing less than a murderer. You could have killed dozens of people. And Agnes's response, oh, Rose, you're so stuck up. <laughs> what? Oh. And nobody bats an eye yes yeah no, so. and then the dad comes home and they're like they're like whoa why are you be she says the whole thing oh we tried to derail a car boy and he's like what and they're like ah she fell i actually i loved that
0: bit where you're like
1: oh yeah she just fell pay no attention pay to no like, attention to the murderer in the front of you yeah, like, he's like oh brave little girl good job the madness of like they tried to derail a train by putting a fake body on the track like
0: what and then even though rose and esther at first are like you can't do that At a certain point, they just start laughing, like, oh, oh, what joy. What a a wild situation we're all in. Let's all laugh about it. Yes. Basically, (laughs) 1903 Halloween is the purge. That's what's happening here. It's Lord of the Flies meets the purge. That is Halloween in the turn of the 20th
1: century. Like I said, Cody, I was not expecting any of these things in this movie. I don't know what you set me up for. But you know what? You got me because if you would have told me to name a B plot in a Judy Garland movie from the 40s, I never would have thought children trying to derail a train or attempting to murder a man who sacrifices cats at midnight in order to stop banshees from attacking them. I didn't think any of these plot lines would be in this movie, Cody. So you got me. Yep. You got me. It's so the old gotcha. Who says these
0: movies aren't edgy? So it turns out John Truitt did not beat up
1: Tootie. In <laughs> fact. Turns out he didn't beat up a six-year-old girl. This is
0: a one super long way to be like John Truett didn't beat up a child.
1: <laughs> yes. And the Ben and then like her response to like he beat up a child was like, and I got him good. I bit him. Like that's it. Oh, punishment done. Cool no police done
0: well you would assume because they do say the parents are like oh when the father hears he's gonna be the one who deals with it
1: oh yeah they just say he's gonna go kill him yeah
0: <laughs> probably i mean that's that's probably what's gonna happen again it's dark yeah. dark times dark times so yeah turns out now john Truett was actually saving agnes and tootie from being arrested by the police Yep. Uh, it's because they were going to get arrested for, you know, possible attempted murder. And that doesn't end up happening because John uh, gets them in an alley so they wouldn't get caught. So that's when, uh, oops, sorry, Esther goes back and she's embarrassed. John says, I hey, don't worry, I get more beat up when I'm playing football. John forgives her and uh, gives her a surprise kiss and uh, Esther comes back home. I love that scene. She's just coming back in just completely hypnotized totally love struck a uh, very funny moment as she comes back in later in the evening uh, with the family as they're gathered around for dessert. And Mr. Smith announces that he is accepting a new job in New York city and they will all be moving around Christmas time. He thinks this is some great news, but the family is not for it. Tensions rise. The children cry. Tootie says, I got to go get those doll corpses out of the backyard. Yes. It'll take her a week. Right, that's a week. That's, that's, a, that's my week now. Thanks, oh, Dad. My week, my week is book solid. Yeah, Got to dig up all these dolls. Got to go dig up Sally Ann at uh, 5. Then I got to go get Raggedy Ann at <laughs> 6.30. Just can't do it. Where did I bury Tabitha? Where did I bury Tabitha? And then Mr. Smith just even says Grandpa's a minor detail, which, hell no, Grandpa stands up for
1: himself because you're damn right he's not a minor detail. There's a great interchange. It's a it's a very vaudeville joke. Mr. Smith goes, I've got the future to think about. A future for all of us. I've got to worry about where the money's coming from. Lawn in Princeton, Rose is going to college, and then Rose goes, Money. I hate, loathe, despise, and abominate money And she and he says, You also spend it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a real humdinger. <laughs> was like, it really is. Bravo. You also Mr. spend Trump. it. And you expect him to have a Groucho Mark cigar out. When yeah, he says right? you also spend it. The bow tie <laughs> spins. Yeah, woo woo
0: woo! Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So the children all go off to bed, and that's where Mister and Missus Smith step to the piano and sing together to close out the evening. To try to sort of mend this this bond that is now being a little bit strained by this news. They sing the song "You and I," and. The actors in this role are not actually singing this song. Hmm. Uh, one would be Denny Marcus, and she has no other credits to her name in anything. Maybe theater, I didn't see, but couldn't okay. see anything in music and film. The other singer, though, the male part here, is actually producer Arthur Freed singing this part. Okay. Yeah, and it's a nice song. It's a it's a very nice song, very uh, somber, as uh, we... Expect some rough times ahead for the Smith family.
1: Fast forward, Mm -hmm. it's
0: now Christmas Eve. Lon Jr. is back home for the holiday, and he doesn't have a date to that evening's dance since his girl, Lucille, who he knows from New York, will be escorted by none other than Warren Sheffield. So both Rose and Lon don't have a date, and after some encouragement from Katie, the two decide, hey, let's just go together, that's fine. I also love the line that esther says where she said um something about just rubbing it in that she had a date it's like and if i had a date but i don't i'm going with john uh just super quick and then just keeps going like just had to get that in had to get that little zing in like i've got a date you don't suck it so the girls get ready for the dance and they're tightening their corsets and uh good physical comedy from uh from judy garland here And John comes over to tell Esther that uh, he's a bum who doesn't know how to get to the tailor on time, apparently, because he was too busy playing basketball to pick up his tux. And now they're closed. Oh, I don't hate you. I just hate
1: basketball.
0: Great line. Great line by Judy there. I don't hate you. I just hate basketball. She goes off with her arms on her eyes. Oh, damn basketball.
1: Ruined by basketball again.
0: Damn, that Michael Jordan, who won't become anything for another 80 years or so. (laughs) So, at this point, Grandpa, once again, just an OG, he comes in and he saves the day. After he hears Esther crying, saying that, I love his little line, he said that uh, suits are like men. Sometimes they need a pretty dress to dance with. Uh, Yeah. Just so slick. Uh, and he says yep i'll take you uh, to the dance if uh, if you'll have me and it's a nice little moment uh with the two of them and we go to the dance and Lucille and Warren arrive and as they meet Rose and Lon they decide you know what what are we doing here change of plans uh, Rose, you go with Warren, Lucille, you go with Lon, and they go off on their dates, and this great scheme that Rose and Esther had where they were going to give Lucille all of the ugly boys in town, uh, to have a dance with their dance cards, all blows up in her face as Rose says, forget it, and Grandpa catches wind of the plan and says, well, that's mean, don't do that, and so then that leaves Esther stuck with dancing with all of uh, the weird guys in town. I would have liked if they just thrown in the guy that took Tootie at the beginning as like one of the guys she had to dance with.
1: Has anyone talked to you about death? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife had a dress like this. She was buried in it.
0: <laughs> have you ever seen the life go out of a man's eyes before? <laughs>
1: And you think to yourself, can I stop it? Should I? <laughs> yeah. Creepy guy selling ice. <laughs> That's how he cools down the bodies. There you go.
0: That was oh the plot that was missing from this movie. My God. There you go. So, yeah, Esther is dancing with all the weirdos uh, in town in Old St. Louis. Then Grandpa comes in. He saves the day. Once again, he starts dancing with her. And that's when he catches wind. He catches a glimpse of John Truett over in the corner and whisks her off. And I love the little scene, the little change. It's such a minor gimmick, but it still tickles me every time where he goes. He takes her behind the Christmas tree and then she comes out and she's dancing with John as grandpa handed her off. And so, yay, everything's happy now. She gets to dance with John before she has to leave to New York. Everything is going to be OK. Back home, Esther and John once again meet up, and uh, they profess their love for one another and basically say, like, let's do this. Let's get together. And that's where Esther's like, well, I'm leaving, but maybe we can make it work in New York. And John doesn't seem to be sharing the same feelings, and he questions whether they can work out a relationship or not and whether this was all meant to be. Esther goes back inside, all sad, and finds Tootie still wide awake. Wondering how Santa gonna find us if we're in New York City? How's that gonna happen? And that's where we get "Have yourself a merry little Christmas." Yes, indeed, written for this movie, and originally, the first line, which would have kind of gone in with the dark streak of this movie, the original first line was going to be "Have yourself a merry little Christmas." It may be your last. Okay. (laughs) That's Tootie's lyrics. That's not... Tootie said, let's do this. And they said,
1: no. It may be your last. If I have anything to say about it, ha, I'll throw you on the train, on the trolley tracks. Also, I don't remember exactly when this happens, but there's a moment when Agnes says, Rose, what did you get me for Christmas? She says, you'll find out tomorrow. And she goes, I hope it's a hunting knife. (laughs) I didn't even catch that. (laughs) <laughs> wow. wow these children are so depraved so so depraved uh, also there's a moment and I don't remember where it is but I had to note it grandpa says you'll all be safe with me I've got 12 guns in my room oh yeah he does say that doesn't he and I'm like alright grandpa took a turn okay in, su- in suburban St. Louis you just need a 12 guns okay alright <laughs> well to fight to fend off all those children I mean I can't, blame, I can't blame them that's true those kids are coming after Grandpa. If Grandpa shows any weakness, they're gonna they're gonna off their Grandpa. <laughs> Eleven of those guns are reserved
0: just for Halloween night. Yes. So have yourself a merry little Christmas. It's it's beautiful. It's my favorite rendition of the song. Of course, it's become more famous, and the lyrics are different than probably what most people are used to, uh, since it's being sung in reference to the events of the movie. She says, like, next year all our troubles will be miles away, like, next year references to that. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow rather than hang a shining star from the highest bow. Uh, there's a lot of lyrical changes. I think the most famous one becomes the Frank Sinatra version years later where he makes all those lyrical changes so it fits in with the season rather than fits in with the movie. Uh, but for my money, this is this is still my favorite version.
1: Yeah, she even sang on her Julie Garland show uh, tri- Christmas special. She sang the song with the new lyrics.
0: Hmm. As I think actually the lyric was going the first lyric I mentioned where it may be your last. She said, no, are you kidding me? It's Christmas. Like it, it, this cannot be this dark. She was the one who said, I'm not singing that. I'm going to change that. So let your yeah. heart be light. That's a, I believe a Judy Garland like ad-libs line. So Tootie the whole time is just crying, she's in tears, and then after the song ends, uh, she snaps and she adds four more to her body count as she kills the snowman family outside, and she also threatens to kill more. Uh, She's an absolute menace and she must be stopped before she strikes again.
1: You know, they start with the snowmen. They move on to pets. Then people.
0: Just, just a menace to society, this girl.
1: And no, no, none of the parents are like, I think she has an anger problem. <laughs> like... That didn't exist back then. That's no one, true. No one thought that way. They that's just true. thought,
0: nah, she'll work it out. Let yeah. her get it out. She's a child. She's got too much pent-up energy.
1: Let her get it out. Perhaps if we electrocute her over and over again at a hospital setting, maybe she'll be fixed. You could pull out all her teeth and maybe she won't be crazy anymore. <laughs> Well, what we do is we just get an ice pick and we poke it right in between the eyes <laughs> you just help her out that way. I mean, it's 1903. These things are all happening. These are oh, all, yeah. These are real solutions has to any, these problems, everybody. Has anyone tried leeches on the girl?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Mr. Smith uh, awakes or, I don't know. Goes He's, to Washington. Yes. Uh, I don't. I said he awakes, but um, it's like midnight, and he's still in his full suit with his pocket yeah. watch. like everybody else is in their pajamas, and he's just awake in his suit. Like, what's yeah, going no on? No bath here? that day, I guess. No, no cool bath. No hour-long bath. No time that day. He goes into Agnes's and Tootie's room and is like, "What's all the racket?" And he sees the girls. He sees Esther and Tootie coming in. They're heartbroken, and he takes another glance at the house, and then. And sees the, the house they've been living in, their home, and really takes it all in and it's like, why are we moving out of St. Louis? This is our home, especially before the World's Fair. I don't know if you heard about the World's Fair. Everyone's getting ready for mm-hmm. that World's Fair, aren't they? I think even on the trolley, some guy's like, yeah, I heard there's going to be lots of people here for the World's Fair. It's like, it's it's eight months away. Calm. Yeah. Calm, the people yes. in
1: cages or the people visiting? <laughs> Either way.
0: Either way, there's going to be a lot of folks here. So he he Uh, suddenly realizes he's making a mistake by leaving St. Louis, and he wakes everyone up and tells them that he's not going to be accepting that job in New York, and that they should say in the city that they all know and love. Yay, Merry Christmas. This is the best Christmas gift you ever couldn't got of me.
1: In a a great uh, comedy way, He, he says it as though he's the only one who's advocated for it, and it was his idea. Yeah. He's like, don't you know the, the city's going to get bigger? Come on, folks. Like, he basically, he's trying to convince them to stay when it was, The it's World so, Fair is coming, did moment. you hear? Yeah, the World yeah. Fair is around the corner. Why? Why would we ever leave? Yeah, I thought that was a nice moment.
0: That was was. was pretty funny. It was. It was a very nice touch. So, yay, they're staying, and we fast forward one last time. It's now spring of 1904. It's been a full year since we started the movie, and the World's Fair has finally arrived. All the girls are in their Sunday best decked out in a white dress that would be later made iconic in plays like My Fair Lady or movies like Mary Poppins, and all the men are looking dashing once again grandpa what's up playa yep. looking good uh, they arrive at the fair with their guys and gals and marvel at the modern beauty of saint louis and by golly it's here in our own backyard and then you hear meet me in saint louis the finale and the end So, will they ever remake this movie? Who the hell knows? I know there's going to be a lot of creative liberties on certain scenes involving children. But, in fact, they have actually remade this movie twice for television. Back in 1959 as a TV movie starring Jane Powell and Tab Hunter. And then, again, they were trying to make it into a television series? A TV pilot that was made in 1966 that would have taken more of the stories of sally benson and expanded that into a full television series whether it would have been a musical or not who knows there was also Hmm. supposed to be a sequel to this movie called meet me in manhattan that would have actually seen the family move to new york so despite basically just refuting everything in this movie where they end up going to new york anyway for the never mind (laughs) yeah just kidding i just wanted to be here for the world's fair and now we're leaving because apparently it's uh, the author Sally Benson. And in real life, uh, they actually did move to New York. They did not stay in St. Mm. Louis. But let's remake this movie, as we often do, as we not often, as we always do at the end yeah. of the podcast. Uh, the characters I had down were Esther, Rose, Mister and Missus Smith, uh, John Truitt, Tootie, and Agnes. Katie and Grandpa—it's a lot—and then of course uh, Lon Junior, but he—you know—he doesn't get that much to do. So just throw, just throw any face at Lawn Junior's yeah. role, and you know that's enough.
1: Throwing a pretty face—that's
0: really it. You just got to have a pretty face, a pretty face man, and you're good. That's all. So let's start with Esther, Judy Garland herself in this role. Who do you have
1: as a modern day Esther? Uh, I wanted to go for someone not super well known. Uh... But still, someone who's been on television and in certain movies, uh, and she sings. She has a music project as well as acts, and that's Emily Kinney. She was on uh, The Walking Dead for a while. Okay, uh, she's she's actually thirty four years old, but plays way younger. She looks like she could easily play someone in her, her early twenties. Yeah, that age has never been an issue, isn't there? Wasn't there some
0: actress? I wanna say she was either on like Save by the Bell or something else, where she was like thirty on Save by the Bell or some other teen show uh, of the era. There's a lot of
1: shows like that. Oh yeah. I <laughs> know, that I happens. I know. But
0: like her but, specifically, like she was like literally and then going into her forties was still playing high school. Like crazy. I don't I can't think of the actress, but yeah. It it happens a yeah. lot. Yeah. It happens a lot. So,
1: I, cause I actually, I'll get to it when we get there, but her older sister, I actually have a younger actress playing her because she just plays older. So, <laughs> nice. But so that's just the way it goes. Um, yeah,
0: how about you? My Esther, I'm going a little off the board with a Broadway actress who I have seen. She's very young still, could play very young. Her name is Eva Noblezada. She played a, in a uh, revival of Miss Saigon. A few years ago. She played the lead role. She also did the anniversary concert of it and she's phenomenal. Uh she's also been in a few other major Broadway productions. She was nominated for a Tony. Uh she plays really young. I she's got a phenomenal voice. I think she could totally kill this role and that she brings that uh yeah, that youth and energy and um the look, I think that would be right for this role. And of course the talent on top of it all. How about Sister Rose? Doesn't seem all that much in this movie.
1: Yeah. For her, I actually went with someone else who's done theater, but is also on television. I've been in a couple movies, but nothing too big. Uh, She's actually three years younger than Emily Kinney, but she plays and looks a little older. And that would be Melissa Benoit, Supergirl herself from the TV show. She she portrays uh, strength, assuredness really well. And I think Rose is is especially, except in the beginning when she's a little bit downtrodden about not getting proposed to, for the most part, she's very sure of herself throughout the rest of the movie. And I thought she would be a good, a good call for that.
0: Yeah, I like that one. I like that. Uh, the two I had, I have two here. I couldn't quite decide. Uh, one was Zendaya, uh, who we know she's got mm-hmm. the musical chops. And I think that she would capture... The personality of this character really well. The other one I had is it, I think I was thinking of Little Women because this movie does kind of have like the sister dynamic feels Ooh, almost Little good, Women. Co- yeah, uh, Florence Pugh was the one who came to my mind. Uh, if you haven't already, Florence Pugh, it's so endearing to watch. Now she had a YouTube channel of just her doing like acoustic new like songs that she wrote I've seen those. or like covers, and it's like. Even now, the videos only have, like... I mean, they have a few thousand views, but for, like, a big-time actress, like, I would yeah. expect it to be more. So I, I found it very charming and endearing that they're just there, and she was just doing those before she became who she is. Uh, and she's got a good voice. So uh, Florence Pugh would be one of my other choices for that.
1: Uh nice, Miss, I like that. How about the parents? Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, so I actually... Stole it straight out of the musical I picked for my musical pick, which was Sing Street, and I chose the parents from Sing Street. Yeah, they would be good. They would be perfect. Maria Doyle Kennedy and Aiden Gillen. I just thought they had really good chemistry together, snipping back and forth. Uh, and I don't know. For some reason, I just immediately pictured it, and I went, "You know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna poke it too further. I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do. That's good. I like that. I went with uh, two
0: heavyweights where I'm not sure they would do this in such a small role, but it is like a legacy. This is a legacy movie, and if they were ever remake it, I feel like they would aim for the stars. Uh, I went with Ewan McGregor and Kate Winslet, who Kate Winslet, That's I always good. forget she can sing, and she can sing well. Because imagine them singing that duet together. How great that would be. And also Ewan McGregor, I feel like, totally could to do the father role perfectly. Uh, I think it would be really fun. How about John Truitt, who doesn't really, doesn't sing at all in this movie, but you can, can, I think there
1: was a cut song with the two of them. There was going to be a duet with them. I went with Neighbor Boy, Very Handsome. Uh, I went with Ansel Elgort. Good call. Yeah, Ansel Elgort would be perfect. Gonna be in West Side Story whenever
0: that comes out. I picked Nick Jonas for this role, and I think I would add in the song for it. The add in the cut song because he can do it. and He's been on Broadway. He's got it. He, he can do it. Yep. He's got the chops. He's in Les Mis. Yes, he was in Les Mis. He was in, what, the 25th anniversary concert? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. he
0: can hold his own. He, he was Marius, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Yeah, good stuff. I'll go with the last two, then. We've got Katie, and we've got Grandpa. Katie the Maid and uh, Swaggalicious Grandpa.
1: Uh, Katie the Maid, I have Jane Lynch.
0: Yep. Yeah, good call. I went with... Uh, only as an excuse to write her a new song. And I think it would be fun to throw in, and kind of in the same vein with both these roles, throw in people who have like iconic uh, musical roles in their repertoire, but aren't really given a lot in terms of singing. For Katie, I went with Bernadette Peters. Uh, I think that would be, she, one, is funny as hell, and I think it would be great to see her again singing on screen. It'd be wonderful. Uh, and then I went with Christopher Plummer for Grandpa. Okay, I went with Alan Alda. That would also be very good. Yes, Alan Alda would be great. There you go.
1: This strange, dark, twisted movie. I'm just, like, picturing, like, the horror movie version of this. It's just not hard to picture it. Lulu, skip to my <laughs> It's not that hard to picture it. Just this,
0: I feel like it's it's... It's portrayed as like this syrupy, sweet movie, and yet it's got this crazy dark streak underneath it all. Yeah. That I guess maybe 1944 is not seen the same way as it is now, but I don't know. You can find us. uh, The Twitter is going to be active shortly. In fact, you can find us on Twitter at Movie Musical Pod. That's at Movie Musical Pod. The Twitter is active. You can also still find our information at the Screen Watchers Guild at the screenwatchersguild.com on the Screen Watchers Guild feed, uh, and you can find me at
1: Cody Pasby. I'm at the Paul Ponte, and also at indiehandshake.com. Indie Handshake uh, handles on Twitter, Instagram, and all that is for my wrestling podcast called Indie Handshake. Indie I N D Y, not I E, I N D Y, not I E. Until next time, I'm Cody Pasby. I'm Paul Ponte, and we will talk to
0: you down the yellow brick road.